Hi, I'm Amber and welcome to Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us, Emily Ruiz, and she's going to be talking about her success with the carnivore diet and uh, where she got her passion to advocate for it and how she did the carnivore diet while she was pregnant. Welcome, Emily. Hi, Amber. <laughs> We're having some technical difficulties, so if there's a little bit of lag, I apologize, but it, it, technical difficulties. Anyway, well, Emily, why don't we start out with you telling us your background story? I want to hear about uh, your health issues as you were growing up, uh, when it happened, all those kind of things, and, and your professional life. What, what do you do in real life? In real life, I am currently um, a homemaker. I'm currently a wife and a stay-at-home mom to an almost 12-month-old baby. Aww. Her birthday. Um, and I hold uh, an esthetician license in the state of Indiana. So I'm not currently in a salon. The salon I was working at um, closed down post-COVID. So I decided to stay home with the baby. Um, but before that, I was an esthetician in a salon. So that's like a skincare, skincare professional for uh, people that don't know. So I did facials and chemical peels, um, treated acne and aging, uh, you name it. So that's what I did. And what I do now is I just love to care for my family. And it's a full-time job. Um, when I was about 14, I became stricken with chronic pain. As a whole, you don't know how to describe these feelings. You don't know how to say, you know, my shoulders are tight or I feel inflammation here. All you know is like, it hurts. And so I would complained to my dad, you know, so much that he took me to the doctor. Of course, when you're 14 and nothing's wrong on the outside, um, you get shoved off a lot and just passed on to somebody else. Um, since I didn't look sick, um, I wasn't really treated as if, as if I was. So a couple of years later, we finally um, made a stride with the rheumatologist and the rheumatologist found that not all, but I came back positive for many of the lupus criteria and blood work. So not all of them, but most of them. And so I have what's called undifferentiated connective tissue disease. which means it's an autoimmune condition, right? Affecting the connective tissues, but they're not calling it lupus yet because only some of my tests come back positive. Hmm. So I struggled with that. I was also diagnosed with fibromyalgia, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, interstitial cystitis, uh, depression. Yeah. And a whole host of other small things. 
And so I was really a walking itis, right? I had bursitis in my hip. I would flare and get tendonitis in my arms. And then I would have to go on prednisone when I had a really, really bad auto gashes in the sun and all kinds of stuff. So it wasn't fun. And it really uh, took a hit on my mobility, you know, as a 14 year old, uh, you know, I couldn't run around with the other kids. I was down, I was hurting a lot. And so it definitely, it wasn't fun. I was just a ball of inflammation, uh, but nobody knew, nobody knew what to do about it, except, you know, prednisone and immunosense. Um, I believe I was way over medicated, especially by um, a psychiatrist. They had me on Xanax, Ritalin, and antidepressants all at the same time. Um, by the time, you know, I was 18, I was taking 12 medications daily. I had to have, you know, a pill dispenser like my grandparents. Um, they had me on opioid pain relievers, um, really super strong. Um, and so I was on absolutely all kinds of stuff. So if we flash forward, if we flash forward, I met my husband in 2017 and we were then engaged in 2018 and we had put on, we had put on some pounds. We really had. And my dad did this weird thing called keto, right? And so he was telling us about that and all, you know, at first was losing weight because in my mind, I had doomed myself to feeling terrible forever, right? This is a lifelong condition. Absolutely nothing, nothing that I've done has improved my physical health. So I just wanted to look decent at my wedding. So my husband and I went keto. My dad showed us the ropes. Um, so we ate, we ate a very clean keto and I dropped about 40 pounds, um, in months. Um, I'm a slow loser, but I dropped about 40 pounds, but I didn't feel any better, Amber. I, it was so difficult for me to even walk across the yard, right? I was still in pain all the time. Um, I was fat, I was fat adapted. And I knew that from my digestion, my energy, um, my satiety levels, but my body still felt terrible. Um, I was pregnant and about maybe halfway through my pregnancy, right? About halfway through my pregnancy, all I wanted, all I wanted was meat and more meat and more meat and more meat. And so I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is this, you know, crazy strong meat craving. And then I was scrolling Instagram one time and probably eating a piece of meat. And here's all oh, this guy eats his meat. Is this a real thing? Is this a real thing? So I looked into it and it's a thing. It's a big thing. <laughs> And so I, I looked into it. 
um, I found Sean and of course I was a diehard Dr. Barry fan, right? From keto, Dr. Barry's the best. And so I started watching Sean and Dr. Barry on the topic of carnivore. So there's a reason that my body wants this so bad. And then came the inflammation difference. Then came this huge difference in how I felt in my mood, right? I was able, I was able to start working out, you know, lightly, but I was able to start working out in the middle of my pregnancy and I hadn't been able to work out in I don't know how long because of the pain, especially in my hips. So it was really, really incredible. So the more I learned, the more I dug deeper, the more I believed, the more I heard other people's stories. Um, and I just became passionate about it because I never thought that I would get my health back. I never thought I was scared on that first of motherhood. And can I be a good enough mother, you know, with all these physical ailments and to have your life handed back to you is just such a life changing experience that you feel like you can signed up. I signed up to get certified um, through MeetRx and I have just I've been through it and um, it's just a passion of mine to help other pregnant women before pregnancy, during the whole deal. It's just a, a close spot of mine. So that is my long story. That wasn't so long, actually. <laughs> you did really well. Um, what I find really interesting is you said that you craved more meat during pregnancy. And what I've heard from quite a few of the carnivores who were pregnant, that they had like a revulsion to meat for some reason for a little bit of time. So they kind of had to venture out a little bit and add back in some carbs, even though it kind of made them feel bad to a degree, but the thought of meat, they just couldn't do it. So I think that's really interesting. Well, so that would be um, for almost all of us during the first trimester. So I also had a meat aversion in the first trimester. And mm -hmm. if I could say one thing to other pregnant ladies, you just got to survive the first trimester. Okay. <laughs> just survive it. There is no shame. Just get through it. But after that, so it was after that initial first few months, that initial aversion. And then my body was like, okay, bring it on. You know, and there are people that suspect that this aversion um, was something ingrained in us, right? It's instinct ingrained in us. Um, they think it was to avoid a pregnant woman getting sick in the first trimester and causing a complication. So when you have an aversion to animal products, some people think that we evolved that way to keep us from eating maybe spoiled meat. Hmm. or a meat with parasite and getting sick and losing the pregnancy. I don't know that the science is settled. It's actually not settled on weakness and aversions happen. Um, but I do know that that is, that is an idea that's hmm. out there. Very interesting. Hmm. I'd like to see some more information on that. That's kind of, that's, a, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay. So 
since you went through your pregnancy, most of it, except for the first trimester, kind of more as a carnivore, how did that work for you? And I, I don't guess if you had anything to compare it to, because this was your first baby. Is that correct? Okay. Could you repeat that? Yeah. Oh, we're having technical difficulties, y'all. <laughs> yes. Um, what I was asking is, this is your first child, right? The the one, the 12 month old, is right. that your first child? Okay. So you don't have anything to compare yes. it to, but can you talk about how you felt after the initial, you know, the first trimester, and then you started craving the meat. So you started eating the meat. How did you feel? I mean, I know you don't have anything to compare it to, but kind of Fantastic. talk about your pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt fantastic. Um, my keto to carnivore transition was pretty, uh, it was very abrupt, but I was already fat adapted, right? I was already keto adapted. So I wasn't struggling through adaptation, right? There's still, there's still a little adaptation between keto and carnivore, but it just wasn't bad. And it certainly wasn't my first rodeo. I had another pregnancy to compare it to. But I felt better than I had my whole life. And I was pregnant, you know, I was halfway through a pregnancy. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking that that's pretty darn, pretty darn good for a pregnant lady, you know, in the first trimester, it just comes with it. I was exhausted right? I was exhausting. I did have aversions to a lot of stuff, but once I went carnivore, I just felt amazing. Like I said, I was able to start working out. I rode a stationary bike and I was able to start lifting small weights. And so me and my husband would do this every day and I would walk every day. And that was a lot for me, especially being pregnant. So I just felt great, honestly. That's awesome. So when it came to the birth, do you think that because you were eating such a nutrient dense diet and you were healing some issues, do you think that had any impact on the actual birthing process? No, but there, there's a why I had to have a C-section. So I didn't have a normal birthing experience. Um, I didn't dilate past one centimeter. And so actually when they took her out, she had a one centimeter bump on her head because my body was contracting and pushing her down. Um, but I never dilated. And so she started to between contractions. And so, um, so they took her by, by C-section However, you know, had it been able to be a natural birth, I'm sure it would. I just don't have any insight since she was cesarean, but I do think that it made healing easier. Mm. I think that it made healing extremely, extremely easier. I mean, I healed like green. You know, and some of that is props to, um, to the surgeon, to the woman who delivered her. It's a beautiful straight incision. Um, but also my body just really handled it. And a long time ago, right. I had had MRSA and boils mm -hmm. 
throughout my teenagehood. And um, I was never good at fighting infections, especially skin infections. So if I got a piercing anywhere other than my ears, my body would reject it, right? It would become pussy. Um, my skin wasn't good at healing itself. Uh, but after I had the baby, my body just did what it should do, right? It did what it was designed to do. And I actually healed beautifully with very little pain. Hmm, awesome. And how was the baby? I mean, was she very healthy when she was born? Yeah, she was born at 37 weeks. Um, so she hadn't got to that stage, right? where she's packing on a pound, a, a pound a week, mm. right. In that last month. So she was uh, small weight wise. She was four pounds, 15 ounces when we left the hospital and she was wow. born at five, two and a half. And, but she was so strong, so healthy. She could temper temperature regulate. Um, she had no glucose problems. Um, she could latch. And so she was super strong. She could roll over at a week and a half because she had all her muscle, but she didn't have a bunch of fat stores because she was a few weeks early, but she was absolutely just super healthy. And she still, she still is. Awesome. So how are you going to raise her? Like what, what kind of foods are you going to make available for her? Am I going to raise my daughter as a strict carnivore? Um, I'm not. But before you freak out, there's a couple of reasons. And um, there's always non-negotiables, right? Canola, non-negotiable. Seed oils, non-negotiable, right? She doesn't have grains, legumes, nuts, seeds, um, none of that. We do give her low starch veggies. Um, we do give her some fruits. The reason is, is that I think kids should be exposed to a certain amount of stress. So here's my theory. We don't slather kids in Pfizer because they won't be exposed to anything, right? And then they won't build an immunity. So when they come in contact, right? With something, with a disease, with a virus, their body's not good at fighting it. So I feel the same about dietary, right? So the toxic stuff, the soy, the seed, the legumes, we're going to avoid that stuff too. Um, but what I don't want is her to be 17 and go to meet with friends and have pizza and popcorn and then get extremely sick, Right because she's never tasted anything other than meat or eggs. Um, there's also the exclusion factor. Um, and kids don't know, you know, this is healthier for me or this isn't. And so all kids know, right, is that they have these super restrictions and other kids think they're weird. We're not going to compromise and there's no white sugar, right, or flour in her diet. We do give her, say, a little bit of green beans without the bean or some avocado, right? Um, 
every now and then a couple a couple bites of squash. So she's more so going to be a keto kid. So she's got healthy fats. Almost every fat she takes in is animal fat. And we're not scared of it. We load her at her um, whole milk and heavy cream and half and half. Uh, we load her up on meat and we make that the biggest portion of her meal. So we feed her her meat first. And then after that, after that, maybe she has a little dairy and a little green beans, right? Maybe when she gets older, arugula is low oxalate. So maybe she can have that with a drizzle of olive oil. Um, so I do think that kids need a certain exposure, not all stress is bad stress, right? And I'm sure, I'm sure as educated as you are, Amber, you've heard people talk about the hormesis, right? Mm -hmm. Right, so exposing your body um, to stress in a controlled setting. So to me, it's, it's a good amount of hormetic stress for a child to have some foods. But I feel very good and very confident because it's in our hands, right? Not to do to them what happened um, unwittingly, unwittingly to us. So I'm really optimistic because the truth is, is that if they never end up as sick and metabolically damaged as we are, I know there's earth out there, right? but a green bean or a butternut squash, is not gonna hurt a kid that's never had poison in their body, right? Or metabolic damage. So that's the way we go. Tons of eggs, tons of meat, tons of animal fat, and a few of the least harmful veggies and fruits. I think that's wonderful. I think that's very important too. And like you said, with, with a child, they haven't been exposed to all the crap that we have. And if, if there are certain things, you know, like the seed oils and the sugar, those kind of things are avoided as much as possible you're only going to avoid it so much because it is out there in the world. And when they're not under, you know, your, your watch, that's going to happen. So I think your reasoning is very sound. And I don't think there's anything wrong with allowing a, a child to have whole real foods, uh, you know, just because I only eat meat right. doesn't, doesn't mean that I think that that is right for everyone. And if you're, you're not having all right. the, the toxins, you know, that have contaminated most of us, you know, between our, you know, personal care products to, you know, whatever our cleaning products and all that, we have so much built up right. in us, but a child doesn't, and they don't have all the buildup of all the bad stuff in their body either. So they can handle that and it's whole real food. So, you know, to me, I think that is very sound. And that's kind of how uh, my, my granddaughter was, is kind of, you know, that that's how they're raising her. Um, she is allowed to have some, you know, non whatever some stuff you know normal stuff like a cookie here and there that kind of thing but for the most part you know she's pretty well and she does love her meat when she's over here she's got to have her burger with Gigi so she loves that so I, I love that um, I think that's very important but I do think it's good to, for a child to have some variety too you know and I'm not talking Twinkies and crap like that but you know right. so I think that's a good thing right okay so you right. specialize in the pregnancy aspect so if along you know, with 
carnivore. We're, okay. We're, we're like, <laughs> it keeps pinging back and forth. You freeze, I freeze. You yeah. freeze. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what I was saying is um, since you specialize more in carnivore and pregnancy, how do you apply that to your coaching? So um, when I get a client, I mean, there's a few different ways. So if I get a client that's trying to become pregnant or get her fat adapted, right? I want to get her fat adapted before she's pregnant. And what I want to do is I want to build her nutrient stores because during pregnancy and breastfeeding, right? Your baby is pulling from your nutrient stores. And so you have to make sure there's enough or you're going to get greatly depleted. So what I want to do when someone's trying to get pregnant is to get them in the best health possible. We don't want a baby in a hyperglycemic womb. We don't want a baby um, being fed canola oil, right? And so if you want to get pregnant, we need to get you fat adapted so that it's not stress on your body when you're pregnant so that you have a better chance of getting pregnant and so that your pregnancy goes smooth. If they come to me already pregnant, um, there are people that discourage a transition once you're already pregnant. I'm obviously not one of those people, but I think it has to be guided. So if someone came to me pregnant from the standard American diet and wanted to go carnivore, I would absolutely encourage it and work with them. But what I would do is go in stages. So I'm gonna guide them through. The first thing we gotta do is take out, right? The refined sugar, the maltodextrin, the starches, right? The white flour, the bread, the cookies. We gotta get rid of all that and all the seed and canola oil. So first we remove toxins and the majority of the starch. What you're left with then, I tell them if it's in a bag or a box, right? Throw it out. So what you're left with then is whole food. So they may not be keto yet, but what happens is they've majorly decreased their carb count already because they don't have it available. So now they have to eat one ingredient food all the time. Just what we should be eating. After that, after they do that and they're steady, after they do that and they're steady a while, then we work on reducing the most toxic veggies and the most starchy veggies until we gradually get them over to carnivore. So you might not want to do an abrupt switch from standard American mm. to carnivore when you're pregnant. Um, but when I work with people to guide people, there's nothing that says you can't do it as long as you have coach and take the right approach. I, th I think that is a very good approach. And for a lot of people, pregnant or not, that's a good approach because uh, there's so many people. And I don't know if you run into this, but when they have a bad experience, which good grief, when you go from standard American diet straight to carnivore, and if you don't keep your electrolytes up and if you don't do what you need to do, oh, and yeah. eat enough, et cetera, you can be in a world of hurt. And then they go, Ugh, 
this diet is not for me. This is horrible. This made me feel like crap. I don't want to do this diet anymore. And so, and you're like, but okay, no, that first transitional part is going to be rough if you do it that abrupt. But if you do it in stages and transition gradually, you don't tend to have those issues. And that's kind of what I did. And it was accidental that I did it that way in a sense, but it it worked out really well for me. I had like zero issues. So, you know, I, I think that's a great approach. Yeah, you know, the only issue that I had was the same issue when I went from standard American diet to keto. Um, all bladder I had to adjust to to the fat. And so I, you know, I had loose stools for for a while, but after after long enough, your body knows what's to do, what to do, you know, and your your gallbladder and your bile wakes up and handles it. And now, you know, my digestion is, is better. So love to help breastfeeding women. Um, breastfeeding and carnivore is not only possible, you know, your milk supply can thrive, can thrive. And so if you're breastfeeding and you're watching this fat and water, fat and water is what I needed the most of. I needed much more fat much more fat. My protein could vary day to day and not bother me much, but I needed much more fat to have healthy milk and, and water and electrolytes and you will be good. I've heard, I've heard some people who were carnivore during breastfeeding have issues with uh, some milk production and they were under the belief that they needed to add in carbs. But what, from your experience, it sounds like maybe if they up their fat and got a little bit more water in, perhaps that would have fixed it a little. Yeah. So that's my, you know, I'd never discount anyone else's experience, but my, my experience and experiences of people, right. That I've worked with is it's fat and water. So you'll see your supply dwindle. The other thing is, and Dr. Barry touched on this, and um, but it's true and it's one of my main tenets. Many women don't get enough exposure um, with the child in the breast. They don't get enough skin to skin, right? We live in an age where people want to put the baby in, in the other room, you know, in its own room, as soon as it comes home or after a few months, we're not designed that way, right? We're designed to be attached to us and attached to our breast. Um, and many times the issue is fat, water, and that the baby's not on the breast enough. And so it's actually very encouraged uh, by me. I'm very encouraging of letting the baby use the breast as a pacifier. Let them suck on it and latch, right? Let them practice, let them play with it because breastfeeding always demand driven. There are, you know, there are certain reasons that maybe someone didn't produce enough milk, but most, most often you need the baby to latch absolutely as much as possible those first few months absolutely as much as possible and yeah 
fat and water. And I'm telling you, I could put it away while I was breastfeeding. I mean, I was out eating my husband, my dad. I mean, I would just sit and eat like six burger patties, right? Not burger patties, homemade grilled burger patties. I would just sit and eat six. And then my grandma would have made, um, you know, a pork shoulder too. And so then I'd get some of that. I mean, I could put it away, but it's what I needed. And did, how was the weight gain? So I didn't gain that much pregnant. They say you only want to gain like 25, 30 pounds. And that's all 20 to 30, depending on your weight before. That's all I gained was 25 to 30. And so I think 15 came off with the baby and the placenta, something like that, at least within that first week. I'm not saying the baby and the placenta alone weighed 15 pounds, but within that first week, right after birth, you know, about 15 pounds came off. I wasn't one of the women that experienced rapid weight loss while breastfeeding. There are women that say you lose weight just so fast while you're breastfeeding. But the truth is, is that there's two types of women and there's women that lose fast while they breastfeed and there's women that won't lose weight and then will drop it after they're done. I didn't lose during breastfeeding. I also wasn't trying to, right? My only goal was to keep myself healthy enough for this baby and to make milk for this baby. So I wasn't trying, but I didn't, I didn't lose with the breastfeeding as soon as I gave her, then it came back down. Interesting. When I was pregnant, I only gained five pounds, five pounds, a whole entire pregnancy. Wow. It was crazy. I was losing, 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 wow. losing, losing, but I was diagnosed right. as a gestational diabetic. So they had me on a specialized okay. diet and I didn't want to be on it. And it was miserable. I hated every minute of it. So it was hard for me to even eat. They wanted me to eat, you know, I, I don't know if you know anything about the, the diets or at least back then that was, you know, 29 years ago. So it's been quite some time, but they wanted me to eat these small meals yeah. all through the day. And I couldn't stand it. I just couldn't stand it. I was never one to really do that. Honestly, even when I was on the sad me diet, neither. I pretty much, I wasn't a big snacker. I never have been. I'm not saying I never did that, but I, 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 I hated that. So I had to force myself to eat what I did eat. And I would just cry sometimes at night because I was so sick and tired of eating, constantly eating. And, you know, but right. After I uh, had had my daughter within like a couple of days, I had dropped like, I think it was 21 pounds and I'd only gained five. So it was kind of crazy. And then with wow. my son, the same kind of issue, they didn't diagnose me with gestational diabetes, but I was right on the verge, but I only gained 11 pounds with him and lost 19 when I had him. So it was, it was crazy. <laughs> But yeah, I don't That's know what's going wild. on. There, I know, right? I mean, the doctor would keep, I, I'd be like, Am I supposed to worry because I'm not gaining weight? And he goes, No, you're healthy. The baby's growing. It's all good. I think you're fine. Not, I, I wouldn't worry about it. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> sure enough, I had an eight pound baby and right. a nine pound baby. So it's all good. They, they were healthy. They were good. So, yeah. Okay. So, right. so yeah, if you're over a certain weight, then if you're over a certain weight, you know, then it's encouraged that you lose. Of course, I don't know how heavy or how thin you were, but yeah, when they see the baby growing fine, 
They really yeah. don't care about you, mama. No, I know. All right. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about carnivore again. So what, is there anything that changed that kind of surprised you that you didn't really expect, but that was a very pleasant, I guess, side effect? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> One, I don't know. Honestly, um, I didn't have that crazy postpartum hair loss after the baby. Oh, um, and I was like fully expecting, right. All this, this hair to fall out and everybody's talking about this postpartum hair loss. Um, and I didn't, I didn't experience any, there's a lot of things that you are never looking for. And then all of a sudden one day you realize isn't there anymore. So my heels, my heels used to be super cracked and dry and painful. And sometimes they would bleed. Um, I, I looked at my feet again, cause it's not winter. Right. And I looked at my feet again and they're completely smooth. They're completely smooth. There's no crack. I haven't taken, you know, a pumice stone to them. I haven't had a pedicure. Um, and yet they're completely soft and smooth. So, you know, it's the little things, it's the things you weren't looking for that then, that then surprise you. I, I agree with that. You know, you don't like I have, or I had Raynaud's syndrome. I don't know if you know what that is, but basically you kind of lose like a circulation in your extremities, like your fingers and your toes. And it can also be the tip yeah. of your nose and et cetera. And they turn like really white. Well, I had it really bad to the point where it was, it was starting to go to my toes, but all my fingers, they would turn white, 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 whenever I would get cold, I'm talking like white and they, and it's, stung and it was this awful kind of feeling well it didn't dawn on me until I was probably a year into carnivore and somebody brought up the Reynolds had gone away and then I was like oh my gosh I haven't had Reynolds in multiple winters what in the world so I didn't even think about that anymore because it wasn't something that happened every day it was more in the winter or when I got really cold uh for whatever reason so that that was one thing that kind of shocked me that I didn't even realize until way later that it was it was gone yeah, yeah and so I have a, I have a similar one as well and I don't know if it is carnivore or the pregnancy or both, because, you know, you always hear women talk about your body just changes after pregnancy, right? You're just not, you're not the same some way or another. Mm -hmm. Some people's hair cha totally changes. Some people's skin totally changes. But what happened to me is before the pregnancy, so this would be pre-carnivore, pre-baby, I was cold all mm. the time you would never ever 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 have heard me utter the words it's hot in here i was very comfortable in a home with the thermostat set to 75 all the time um i was cold all the time 
right? So after I had my daughter, that's why I don't know if it was pregnancy or carnivore, but after I had my daughter, uh, I do get hot now. I do get hot and I find myself turning the air down. And so to me, it's a sign that my metabolism inner fire is burning. So that's funny that you mentioned Raynaud's because I also feel like I just run warmer. That is interesting. Well, Emily, it has been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, I've had a wonderful time, Amber. This was lovely. It was. And again, thank you so much. And you have a wonderful rest of your evening. You're welcome. Bye, Emily. Okay, you too.